All right, good morning, everybody. I was getting a little concerned. Those like two rows were completely empty for a while. I was like, we're just going to move all the rows up. Or you, you, Joel, you didn't know you were sitting in the front row for a while, did you? <laughs> just kidding. All right. Oh, people are just. <laughs> if, uh, are people yelling at me again? If you have a Bible, uh, I'm going to talk about it. <laughs> We're going to look at a bunch of different verses today. You can, we'll get there. Proverbs 18, Exodus 20, Galatians 5, Mark 5. We'll get there. Um, we're in the second week. Last week was kind of just this entry spot into conversations around emotional healthy relationships, emotional, how it connects. Um, this week we're going to dive in a little bit more into some of the skills, practices, and challenges, all with some super important things. We, um, this Wednesday night, starting at 7, there's actually a group that's going to be meeting to discuss this series. We'd love to have you be a part of this. I think the things that we'll be talking about, if you just consider them by yourselves, would be a miss. At minimum, get, grab a friend, talk about them. What'd you think about this? What'd you think about that? Um, today's sermon will be loaded with lots of, at least, information. Hopefully, it'll be also transformational. If at any time, honestly, you're like, hey, I'd love to have your notes for the sermon, feel free to email me, and then I'll decide whether I send them to you. <laughs> no, no, I, I'll... I'll send them to you, but just so you know, my notes may not make total sense to you. So, I'm just giving you a heads up. But if you're ever like, hey, I'd love to have your notes on that, just don't rip me off. Okay. So, we're in a series on emotional health relationships. The thesis for this comes from Pete Cazero's book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, where he writes this. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible for a Christian to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Uh, there was a season in my life I did a lot of premarital coaching, counseling, if you will. I don't do as much right now, sometimes, time to time, but I did a lot of it uh, for a, a lot of time, probably because I was a youth pastor for so long, and then those students got to a point where they wanted to get married, and they want to come talk about marriage. And I often would, you know, ask this question, why do you want to get married? And I kind of got tired of the same answers. So then I would say, hey, make a case for why you want to get married. Like, like you're lawyers, I'm the judge. Which I didn't really say that, but make a case for it. And one of the things I would hear time to time was, we are a perfect match. And I'm like, well, how do you know you're a perfect match? We never, ever fight. <laughs> yes. So then I would look at them and say, my goal is to make you fight during premarital counseling. They were like, why would you want us to do that? Let's just say I remain undefeated in that accomplishment. Because thinking that we just keep the peace really is a red flag. That there's some hard work. There's some transparency, some vulnerability needed in this whole process. Because as it's been said, love and practice is a hard and demanding experience compared to the kind of love I have in my dreams. Because dreams are filled with expectations and hopes, 
Not that they're bad expectations and hopes, but sometimes they're unspoken expectations and hopes. And as we know, the central message of Jesus in so many ways really was about love. His summary of all the laws and all the commandments throughout time was to love God, to love others as yourself. He clearly stated, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. The second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, he was saying everything that's been said, everything that's been taught, the whole huge section of time happened before me. It's really about love. His close buddy John, the disciple, picked up the ball and said the same kinds of things that everything that's been said. And then after Jesus has resurrected and ascended, late in John's life, he writes this message, this sermon, where he basically says we can't possibly love God and remain in conflict with our brother. Whoever claims to love God, he wrote, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. Paul's message continues with the same kinds of things. Not just last week that we looked at 1 Corinthians 13 talking about all these amazing things that love is. But he references to the, to the people in Galatia that love actually is the point. Where he writes, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. I'm guessing a lot of these things aren't new to you. It doesn't shock you that you've come to church and we talk about love. But one of the situations we find ourselves is that we bring so much of who we are, what we've experienced, what we've learned from family and friends and work and society and online content and movies... And then we apply biblical truth with the relational skills that we've acquired from all of these things. So we take things that the Bible says, but we use the skills that we've learned in all of these other areas. Things like the phrase, speak the truth in love. For many, this, is, this becomes, I'm going to speak to you in this blunt, heart-piercing way because it's truth in love. I wonder, where'd you learn that? Who, who told you that? Who told you that you can just say things bluntly by saying, I'm just speaking the truth in love? You've learned that. So, oh, that's what my dad did, or my mom did, or that's what my church did, or my youth pastor, or whatever. Oh, okay. Or this idea of keeping the peace, that God wants me to be a peacekeeper. So you're going to avoid all situations of conflict. Now, I understand there's a lot of people that say, I just don't like conflict. It's kind of weird if you love conflict, right? I mean, some do. Some just like, man, I just can't wait to fight you. Okay, slow down there, Paco. But the idea, it's not even biblical to be a peacekeeper. To be a peacemaker, absolutely. We're really mostly unaware of how to do that, though. In this series, I want to teach us through some skills to help us. Because this takes some real work. This takes some real um, thought. This takes some real practice. Not some work like a heavy burden. Not to be like, 
God will love you more if you die. That's not what we're talking about. But we so often will learn biblical truth and then gather all these other ways of how we incorporate it instead of just combining what's a healthy, loving, practical way of doing it. The two things I want to talk about today, number one is stop mind reading, and two, clarify the expectation. Stop mind reading, clarifying expectation. Here's what I found to be true. We are all storytellers. We tell ourselves stories that come from an interpretation about others, ourselves, situations. We often rely on our own schema, our own experiences, interpretations, emotions to make sense of things around us. And we start telling ourselves stories. This person did this for this reason. You meant this for this reason. This is why this is happening. Some of us try to call it discernment. Maybe it's a little discerning, but I'm guessing it's a lot more storytelling. And depending on your experiences, I found some signs. These signs might mean different things to you as an example. Here's one sign that I found. If you can read it, it said, This road may or may not be closed on or about May 22nd, 2012 for approximately three weeks. How does that sign make you feel? For you who are super like, no, I need the facts. You're like, that is the most frustrating sign. Just tell me the truth. Others, you are like, oh, that was kind of gentle and kind. Like, it, this is giving me a heads up. If you saw that sign, you'll probably start telling a story about who made that sign. Here's another one. <laughs> now, if you're from England or been to England, you have an unfair advantage in this. But if you just saw the sign, what story do you think it's telling you? If you're driving, watch out for motorcycles flying over you. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Really, what it means is that whenever you see a red circle around the sign, that's the prohibit. You know, here in the States, we have the X through it in case we don't get it. So it, actually, it's a sign that prohibits motorized vehicles to go down this road. Which is like, oh, okay. But otherwise, you probably tell yourself a story. Here's another one that I found. No football coaches. <laughs> this was found outside of my house after Lisa was frustrated, declaring, what do you think this one means? Yeah, exactly. Same thing. It comes from England. You're like, ah, oh, England, of course. Well, there was this pub in England that was tired of getting itself trashed by what we call in America, soccer, they call football, right? So these fans would come, they'd watch the game, they'd get all upset, so they would trash the pub. And they were finding out there was busloads that they call coaches in England full of fans coming to their pub. So they simply have a sign that says, no soccer buses allowed here. But we can read that sign in our own context and be like, I can start telling myself some stories. We interpret how people look at us or how they don't look at us. We tell stories all the time about friends and spouses, family members. We tell stories about people in other cars with our church. You tell stories to yourself about the pastor. 
We talk about people, how they text us or don't text us, or the time they took to text us back. What emojis were used? What emojis were not used? Were the right amount of exclamation marks needed for the needed communication? Just so you know, I do not use exclamation marks because they remind me of yelling. So if I text you and I don't use an exclamation mark, you're like, you should have used an exclamation mark. I'm like, you should have not needed one. As Gary Scazzaro writes this, the stories we tell ourselves have an enormous impact on our feelings. Consider the difference of what goes on in your mind when a friend who agrees to meet you for dinner is 40 minutes late. How different are your feelings when you tell yourself, maybe he had an accident driving here? Or, this relationship is clearly more important to me than it is to him. Each interpretation generates a different feeling. Why? Because our feelings are closely related to the story we tell ourselves about the things going on around us. To quit faulty thinking and maintain good emotional and spiritual health, we must make an intentional decision to stop mind reading and verify our assumptions by talking to people in person instead of in our heads. You know, Scripture adds some things very clearly to this as well. Throughout Proverbs 18, verses like this. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Verse 13, to answer before listening, this is folly and shame. Verse 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. This is where the Ten Commandments come from. The one we're going to look at for a few minutes is this. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Exodus 20, verse 16. I'm guessing we've all seen this. It's in the Ninth Commandment. It was given in a set of Ten Commandments. When God was in the process of a transformation process with the children of Israel, bringing them from a community of slavery to a community of priests and a kingdom of priests. And these Ten Commandments, which I'm sure you know, were all addressing kind of the extreme forms of the sin, if you will. Do not murder was kind of the extreme form of hatred. Do not commit adultery, which would be the extreme destruction of sexual sin, etc. The ninth one forbids the deadliest lie. The deadliest lie is one that condemns innocent people for a sin they did not commit because you see a viable sustainable human community is based on truth telling let me say that again a viable sustainable human community relationship church whatever it is is based on truth telling when we jump to conclusions about other people, assume things based on our expectations, our assumptions, we are believing a lie, potentially, about this person. And even if that is just in our minds, we could quite possibly be condemning an innocent person. That's heavy. Like, it's, this is an innocent lie. I'm just telling it to myself. I'm just processing. 
But it's quite possible that game's roots. You're condemning innocent people through the assumptions that you're making. And the brokenness is, is it's often people that we're closest to, that we're doing this about. Because Eric continues, he writes this, Every time I make an assumption about someone without confirming it, I am at risk for believing a lie about this person. My assumption is just a breath away from misrepresenting reality. Because I have not checked out my assumptions with the other person, it is very possible I am believing something untrue and effectively bearing false witness against my neighbor. I am especially prone to this temptation when the other person has hurt or disappointed me. That also makes it more likely I will pass on my false assumption to others. When we exchange reality for a mental creation, which is a hidden assumption, we enter a counterfeit world. And at that point, we exclude God from our lives because God does not exist outside of reality and truth. We also wreck relationships by creating needless confusion and conflict. Assumptions, interpretations, they can destroy lives. They can destroy relationships. They can destroy yourself. Stories and narratives that aren't clarified or checked for truth, not brought to each other for truth, causes brokenness, hurt. And I, I, I've been on the receiving end of assumptions and stories and lies believed and passed on about me. Most I never knew, but the ones I didn't know hurt so much, so much damage. Not just to me, but to those close to me. And I have personally assumed told myself stories, bore false witness about others. Most of the time, people never knew, and they all caused so much damage as well. I think this is one where we go, man, I've done that. I do that. And this isn't about condemning. This isn't about, like, those who do and those who don't. This is about how do we just get help? How do we do the, maybe that one extra question with our spouse, our friend, our pastor, or whoever? Man, that hurt. But if that seemed confusing, can we talk about that? During our pre-gathering prayer, which we meet about 8.15, and about 20 of us were here, a word kept coming up, not in a weird way, just kind of like felt like we're praying about it, and, and God... You know, people says, feel like God wants us to talk around this a little bit today, around healing. There's people here today that you need a healing. And this healing could be very well physical. The healing could also be relational or emotional. That you've been on the receiving end, maybe, of some of these assumptions. Or you're in crisis right now in your own relationship. I want you to know that God sees you. And he hears you. And he has hope for you. But there's a commitment to the second skill today that is so essential for us to love others well. 
This one is so important for us as we renew as a church. If we don't do this differently, and I don't think it's just us, I think churches, but this is what I want for us. If we were committed to doing this one differently, I think an amazing amount of help, peace, and relational equity would grow. The skill is this, to clarify expectations. When my wife and I got home from our honeymoon, where you stay in nice hotels, well, at least as nice as ones as we could afford at the time, when I was killing it, making 18000 a year as a youth pastor. <laughs> I think we used the, uh, what is that big coupon book where you get like two for ones or whatever? We did that a lot for the honeymoon. <laughs> so we got home from the honeymoon, we walked into our apartment, and we saw this like 30-year-old bed, double bed. We're like, oh, praise God. So anyway, we get ready to go to sleep, and I did what I always do. You go to bed, and I turned over to the left to my nightstand, and I grabbed my Sports Illustrated because I read it every single night. I didn't bring it on the honeymoon because I wouldn't. I'm not that dumb. But our first night back to the apartment, I go over, grab Sports, and I'm just re I'm reading Sports Illustrated because I did that all growing up. Lisa looked at me and goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is what I do every night. I'm just reading about the update on this baseball team. It's super important. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, I don't know. I thought we would talk, snuggle. I'm like, I can snuggle with one arm. <laughs> you know? She's like, no, that is not what you're doing. And I'm like, goodbye, Sports Illustrated. <laughs> I think she fell asleep. I had a flashlight on because I'm like, we have assumptions. I assumed I'm, my life just continues and Lisa will adjust. I don't read Sports Illustrated in bed anymore. I think that was last night I probably did it. Unmet expectations cause some serious divisive reactions. though. People quit jobs over unmet expectations. People get divorced. Friends become estranged. Families stop talking to each other. People leave churches and even communities after decades of partnership. We walk away from some of this stuff. The expectations are problematic when they're these four things. One, unconscious. We don't, this means we don't often know when we have them until we're disappointed or hurt. That's the kind of beautiful part about the emotions. It's kind of like this alert system. Like, ooh, you had an expectation, there, which is okay, but you may not have known it was there. They come out as internal or external emotional reactions, but they're problematic when they're just in there and you don't even realize it. The second thing that's problem is when they're unrealistic, often based on our dream about how it should be, expecting things from other people. When they're unspoken, we keep them to ourselves. If you're telling yourself, well, others should just know, or you should just know, that is a sign of an unspoken expectation. They're unagreed upon. They're general. It can be as simple as this. You may ask someone, hey, would you like to go out and hang out sometime? And, you know, yeah. and the other person goes, yeah, yeah, we, we can do that. Yeah, that, that, might, that might work. And you, what you're hearing is, it's for sure it's a done deal. That's not an agreed-upon 
expectation. One person's like, yeah, maybe. And the other person's like, no, you said maybe. So that's done. That's agreed upon. Speaking it, telling people things doesn't mean it was agreed upon. You're like, oh, why does it have to be so technical? Because it's true. <laughs> Where in life have you not been disappointed by what you thought was an agreement and the other person didn't think it was an agreement and there, there you go. I'm guessing almost every day, if not every week. Expectations should be conscious. Asking yourself, what am I expecting from this person? What am I expecting from this church? What am I expecting from this? What am I expecting? Why am I expecting that? Asking yourself that, revealing that. Realistic. What is the evidence that this is reasonable? Can these even be fulfilled? Is this even possible? Is this a realistic expectation? Is it spoken? Have I told those I have this expectation or a hope of what I'm thinking, what I am hoping, and how I think things should be? And just because it's spoken doesn't mean it just comes into truth, because here is the one. Agreed upon. Because we're like, well, I said it, therefore it needs to happen. No, it still needs to be agreed upon. This one is the key. What does it mean to all involved that they agreed upon? An expectation is only valid when it's agreed upon. Now, this doesn't really play out super well if you have young kids and you're asking them to do chores. Your young child comes up to me, well, let's discuss this. You have an expectation for me. I don't have this expectation. Let's have agreed upon. You're the parent. They're the child. Do your chores. Don't have to be cruel. Or if you're, like, binded legally within a job. Like, there's certain things. But I'm talking about this general, like, here's my expectations. Do you agree with that? That's a tough one. In real-life conversation that you might need to have might sound like this. I have this motion against you. I realize my emotions are indicating something else might be going on. Here's what I experience. Here's how I'm interpreting it. Did I get that correct? This is pursuing clarity. You're like, man, that sounds way too technical. But I'm telling you, during times of divisiveness or disagreement, the clearer you get, the more hope you have to get through it. Last week, we talked about the pain of just pushing things down. There is no life there. But if we trust the emotions that God has given us to at least alert us, to say, man, that, that hurt when you said that, or I'm feeling this frustration with you, and this is how I'm interpreting that situation. Did I just get that right? Sometimes having the truth can be quite painful, though. I don't want I don't, I don't to say, like, hey, it always will work. Sometimes people say, yeah, you got that right, and they're like, ooh. And we need to grieve. We need to grieve that and process that. But I've also seen so many times it's just not even close, and we've created stories. What happens specifically when things change? Maybe you have an agreed-upon thing with your kids that every Friday night is movie night and pizza night. And then they get older, and they start making plans with their own friends. 
And you're like, but Friday night is pizza night. And they're like, you and mom can have pizza. They make smaller pizzas for two. That expectation then goes into a hope. And you grieve the change that you realize and let go. This can happen with groups of friends. You have this agreement with all the friends. Every Friday night or once a month we do this. One of the friends gets married, their life changes, and then they have to do it differently. Frustration happens, but you're like, You've got, you agreed upon this. And they're like, well, my life changed. Your expectation transitions to a hope. And that hope needs to be grieved. But anticipation of new and exciting things to come. Because the agreed upon expectation is something that lasts for a while. But maybe not forever. And this is so hard because we also emotionally drift and also emotionally transition this to our thoughts around God. There's this amazing story in Mark chapter 5. We taught on it a while ago. Well, Mark is like intersecting these two stories. There's a story Jairus who was like a temple leader, big shot, well known, a lot of power. Felt confident enough to go to Jesus, the miracle worker, and say, Jesus, my daughter is dying. Will you come to her and heal her? Jesus is like, yeah, I'll go. Let's go. So he starts walking with him. Jairus must have been pumped. I got the miracle worker. I got the Messiah who's coming to my house. If they had cell phones back then, they'd probably be like, honey, I got him. I don't know what they did, but he was excited. As they're journeying, because Jairus knew the time was short for his daughter, there was a huge crowd, massive crowd. There was a secondary person. There was this woman who had menstrual bleeding for 12 years. Nobody could help her. And she was sitting back and saw Jesus, and she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. It's fascinating. I mean, there was faith there. There might have been some superstition. There was all sorts of things in there. She's like, if I just can touch him, I just want to do like, and get out of there. So she squeezes through the crowd as Jairus is like, let's go, let's go. You promised. You said you're coming to my house. The timing is imminent. Let's go. And this woman touches him, and all of a sudden Jesus stops, and he's like, who touched me? And Jairus is probably like, everybody's touching you, Jesus. Let's go. No, no, someone touched me differently. And this woman who just tried to go in and out, like drive-by healing, not even drive-by, like sneak attack. Jesus looks and he sees her and she's healed and calls her out. That's a fascinating conversation. Like, you believe that you could just touch my garment, you would be healed. He didn't want the healing to be connected to any kind of superstition or any kind of like thing. So he takes some time to explain it. Like, it's your faith that made you healed. And Jairus is probably panicking because God isn't moving in time. One of Jairus's friends comes and says, it's okay, leave the master alone. Your daughter's died. That must have been so frustrating for Jairus. Like Jesus, if you just kept moving, if you just kept pace, if you didn't stop, if there wasn't that woman who jumped in, and I get it, but you promised me. My daughter's dead. Jesus looks at Jairus, 
And he says, keep on believing. (coughs) Don't just believe, but keep on believing. The same belief that you came to me with, that even though my response, my journey, your expectation of me is a different timing than what I'm delivering, keep on believing. So Jesus ends up at his house, comes across all sorts of people weeping and why, and some of them are just faking it. And Jesus is like, this girl's in dead, she's sleeping, and they laughed at him. He's like, all right, laugh all you want. Finally, (coughs) he looks at this little girl, takes her by the hand, and says, Talitha Koum, which means little girl, get up. Immediately, this little girl got up, walked around. What Jairus expected of Jesus was a healing. What did Jairus get? A resurrection. What this woman expected of Jesus was a silent little touch, I'm in and out. What did she get? She got it publicly known that her faith was different than these hundreds of people who were pressing in against Jesus. There was something Unique. This woman who was an outcast, who was broken inside and pushed away by society, Jesus says, I see you. She wanted secrecy, but she got intimacy with God. You see, the expectations we have on God are just sometimes pull us so far from truth. A quote that I heard that I can't forget. Let me explain it. The quote is this. Some of you need to forgive God because your expectations of how you think your life should be is not what it currently is. That's a hard thing to grasp because God hasn't done anything against us that we need to forgive him. It's not like he's harmed. Okay, God, uh, thank you for apologizing. It's not that. It seems incorrect. But for many of us, we have created storylines in our head as if God has done something to us. And what this author is writing, this this quote isn't from scripture, it's someone's opinion, and what he's trying to get at is, you need to break the story in your head that God has done something to you. So in order for it to start, you need to say, okay, God, I, I let you off the hook. To get you going. Some of you, that's what you need to do. You see, God's not mocked. God's not surprised. God's not like, oh, you didn't get all your theology correct in how you came to me. He's like, can we start? Can we begin just to let go? Can we begin to clarify some expectations? So for for some of you, the first step might be, God, I release you from the expectations. And I know That is not like theologically correct, but God's not that concerned about your theology in the midst of your pain. Sometimes he just needs to hear you go, I just need to let that one go. Starting at a place of honesty can feel clunky, but it needs to start somewhere. We're going to take some moments to be quiet before God and just respond. I know without a shadow of a doubt There is healing that needs to take place in here today. There are many who have come with broken, hurtful. They've been on the receiving ends of stories. They've been lied about. 
they've been lying, their relationships are hard, so many of There's healing that needs to happen relationally, emotionally, internally, physically. There's so many of those things. And I want to invite you into just being open to God today. Being open to what he has to say. Have you been holding things against God? And I remember a dark time in my life when I was so mad at God for the physical things that came my way. I just had to get them out before I could move forward. Have you been holding things against somebody else? Maybe they're not even true. Maybe you just like, ah. You've created stories so long in your mind as a way of processing, as a way of defense mechanism that just aren't true. Maybe you're bearing false witness against them. Maybe you just need to ask them for forgiveness because they may not even know you've been doing that, but reconciliation. Maybe there's someone you need to have a clarifying conversation with. Here's an emotion that I experienced. This is how I'm seeing, did I get that right? Because I don't, I don't want to lie anymore about you. Father, we declare, great are you, mighty are you, holy are you, and thank you for your intimacy with us. God, I pray for my family, for my friends, for the church, those gathered here today. Help us to let go of the stories, to be truth tellers, pursue truth. May we be kind. Father, I pray for homes and families and relationships that might just be breaking apart right now because of these things. I pray for healing, for restoration, for a miracle to happen in the midst of this. I believe it. Father, I pray for those who are ill and sick that you could touch them and heal them. This would be a place of restoration. We love you. In your name. Thanks for being with us today. It's great to worship with you all. If you have any questions, let us know. God bless you. Have an amazing...